As sensitives, we find ourselves in a world encouraging us to tune out when our greatest power is to tune in. This leads us to miss the magic and wisdom inherently within and all around us. This is Tune In with Marcy, a podcast devoted to exploring what it means to reconnect to our intuitive nature and belong to the animate earth. I'm your host, Marcy Moberg, an intuitive soul guide, shadow worker, and plant spirit teacher. On this podcast, you'll find deep conversations, practical tips, inspiring stories, and answers to your burning intuitive questions. Equal parts spiritual and human, my work is trauma-informed and always practical. I'm so glad that your intuition led you here. Welcome. By the way, this is a Patreon-supported podcast. You can join starting at $10 a month. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash Marcy Moberg. Hey there, and welcome to Tune In with Marcy. I'm your host, intuitive soul guide, Marcy Moberg, and I'm really, really grateful that you are joining me today because today's episode is a very personal and very special episode. It took a lot of courage and clarity to get to this point where I can um, create this episode because today I am opening up about my sacred medicine experiences with psilocybin. Now, my intention in this episode is to share my positive personal experience and reflections and the messages I've received about my path and what I've learned from my relationship with the sacred fungi spirits and That will be split into two episodes. This is the first of one of two. Now, before I kind of really dive into this episode, if you are interested in getting to know the plant spirits and fungi spirits, I have a Patreon focused on that. And in my Patreon, I teach monthly live classes on a topic related to plant and fungi spirits exclusive bonus podcast episodes and plant spirit practices, as well as teachings about a plant or fungi teacher of the month. So for the month of May, we are focused on attuning to plant and fungi spirits, which is a really essential part and foundational skill for any kind of spirit communication with the green and mycelial world. So you can learn more and join at patreon.com forward slash Marcy Moberg, tiers start at $10 a month. All right, you can't see me, but I'm like rubbing my hands together in excitement over here uh, to dive into this week's episode. So let's start with a little bit of big context. If you're not already aware, there is something called a psychedelic renaissance happening right now. It is a movement to shift how we relate to psychedelics to create space for people to receive their therapeutic and healing benefits. And this looks like a ton of research being funded to discover how psychedelics can heal PTSD, anxiety, depression, addiction, smoking, alcoholism, uh, the stress of terminal illness. And there's even now like expansion onto like, how can it support people's spiritual growth and well-being and folks who are already very well. So, you know, all the research that's happening, there is some really amazing outcomes so far. 
and as well as uh, a movement now to start to develop training programs to get therapists and medical practitioners, psychiatrists, and other healing practitioners, you know, really ready for what feels like is going to be a policy change to reschedule psychedelic substances to, you know, accurately (laughs) recognize their positive therapeutic impact and therefore open up possibilities for the greater public to work with psychedelics to support their own healing and growth more easily. Now, because of my own experiences with psychedelics, I am now, uh, I now consider myself really a psychedelic positive practitioner. Um, and I feel very excited about the current movement because I think their sacred wisdom is so needed by many of us in these modern times with really complex problems. And if you're interested in more about the background, the history, some of the initial research that, uh, was developed, which by the way, this current research is standing on the shoulders of research that happened a long time ago. You know, we're talking, uh, you know, back into the fifties, sixties, um, before the, the big kind of psychedelic, uh, hippie movement that a, a lot of kind of culture, countercultural movement, there's a lot of history of, um, psychedelics being used in therapeutic ways. So one great book to look at for that is Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. It's really a book I consider a must read for anyone interested in the future of mental and emotional health. It was uh, foundational in, I think, helping me to start to get over like my own hangups around psychedelics, which I'm going to talk about in this episode. Um... And I think it's just, even if psychedelics doesn't, isn't part of your own healing path, um, at any point in time, it just can, I think, help to support, uh, shift the culture around this, um, these substances that are, can, can play real that I think have really important roles to play. So, so that's, yeah, that's what I want to say about that. Check out that book, Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind. Really love it. Um, Now, I originally planned, I talked about this in the last episode, to focus this episode on attunement with plants and the frequency of plants. But as I tuned in, um, even before I tuned in, (laughs) my guides have been nudging me um, to really share my personal story of healing with the sacred medicine of psilocybin. And then when I tuned in to write this podcast, they were like, no, no, no. (laughs) We've been telling you what you need to be talking about. And now's the time. And I had like this huge block and it was like, nope, nothing would come out except for the sacred medicine of psilocybin. So that's where we are today. Um, and I have uh, folded this uh, original episode that I had planned of tuning into the frequency of plants into the bonus podcast episodes uh, this month in my Patreon. So that material will be in the bonus podcast episodes. Now, my approach to working with psilocybin has been rooted in therapeutic and ceremonial frameworks supported by a trusted guide. So in other words, what's important to say and to set up as context is that the way that I worked with these sacred mushrooms is not in a party scene and with very, very specific intentions of supporting my own trauma healing and spiritual growth. 
And then that's where now I need to say the kind of requisitory disclaimer. Um, I believe one day we won't have to do that, but that's where we are. So just the like requisitory disclaimer that this podcast episode does not in any way encourage or condone the use, purchase, sale, transfer of any illegal substances, nor does it encourage or condone partaking in any unlawful activities. If you do end up using psychedelic substances, please do so safely and ideally with the support of an experienced guide. I'm a big believer in uh, do no harm approaches, so that's important to say that. So one more note before I dive into my actual personal journey, and that is a note about language. And I, I want to talk about this because it's, it's important um, to get a sense of like, where are we centering our understanding of how these uh, sacred medicines work with people? Now, my personal preferred language to work with plants and fungi that alter, you know, that foster altered states of consciousness because they have psychoactive substances is calling them sacred medicines. That's my favorite way to talk about them. Another word that falls uh, within that kind of umbrella is a word called entheogens. And the public often refers to these as psychedelics. You know, but I love the word entheogen because it's derived from two Greek words that mean full of God, inspired and possessed and to come into being. And you'll understand why, as I share my journey, why I think that's essential, because this term encompasses the very divine and spiritual nature of communing with these plant and fungi spirits that fall under the umbrella of sacred medicines and entheogens and matches my own direct experience with specifically psilocybin, which I've, you know, when I've described it to people who've asked me about these experiences, um, sometimes I describe psilocybin as a wise and playful Buddha consciousness in a mushroom. (laughs) Um, In other words, one of the most, maybe the most powerful, profound consciousness I've ever met. Um, and then there's the popular term psychedelic, which I've been using throughout the beginning of this episode, which means mind revealing. And it centers when we say that, and we understand that it centers the experience on the mind, but some people translate this as soul revealing. And I feel like that feels more aligned because I think the emphasis on the mind part can miss the point of just how embodied psychedelic experiences are. They're extremely somatic. They're extremely visceral. You're feeling everything so deeply on every single level. And also, I think that that shift from mind revealing to soul revealing, you know, really captures how much capital S spirit is in a psychedelic experience. So That being said, I might sometimes use them interchangeably throughout the episode. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page and you know what I'm talking about. You know, the term psychedelics has a long history in the United States and is more familiar to the general population. So it's often the one that I go to if I'm not saying sacred medicine. Uh, While the term entheogen was developed 
to emphasize the spiritual nature and create space from some of the baggage that came from the 60s and the psychedelic countercultural movement. And then the ideas of plants and fungi as sacred medicine, psychoactive plants and fungi as sacred medicine has a much, much, much longer history in human existence. Um, and in fact, if you didn't know, every single continent on the earth, with the exception of Antarctica, has a history of sacred plant and fungi medicine and ceremony. In other words, using plants and fungi uh, that are psychoactive in some sort of capacity. So uh, all of us have ancestors that worked with entheogens, aka psychedelics. Okay, so let's talk about where I was coming from when I decided to say yes to working with the sacred medicine of psilocybin. A little background feels important. And that is that I have been what many people might call quote unquote straight edge most of my life. Not because I called myself straight edge, but because of um, my relationship to any sort of mind altering substances. So I never felt pulled to drink or smoke or take other mind altering substances. And there's quite a few reasons for that. The first is that my family on all sides, okay, that one, all sides, um, has lineages of histories of addiction. And the second reason is that I loved feeling in control. Some of that is rooted in my own trauma. This is a common tendency for many trauma survivors to want to feel in control because an experience of trauma is when things are chaotic and you feel completely overpowered, helpless, out of control. So many of us who have histories of trauma and long histories of trauma and complex trauma, meaning that you have ongoing repeating traumatic experiences, um, then control becomes like the best friend <laughs> and the way to create a sense of stabilization after a chaotic past. So the whole idea of entering into an altered state by a substance felt, I don't even know if the word terrifying even captures how terrifying <laughs> it felt to me, right? And for good reason. Another piece too is that I um, have a long history of you know medical trauma from very, very young. And I had some experiences where I would be in the hospital and I would be given substances for pain or whatever was happening for me. And it, you know, altered my mind. And, uh, you know, I have one experience where I was unable to communicate clearly what I needed to the nurses that were with me and, um, they hurt me and I was no way to no, I had no way to communicate that because of the substances. So I have a long list of reasons for why I was terrified of anything related to this. And this is also probably why I focused, you know, really decades of my energy on experiencing altered states of consciousness um, through other methods like meditation, breathing techniques, yoga, prayer, active meditation states. I really believe these experiences laid the foundation for my psychedelic experiences to stand on. I also tend to love to go into the depths. I would say if we were to kind of like sum up my life into like what is most important for me in life, it would be 
uh, one of the pieces that it centers around is truth. And so I have been that person that instead of um, wanting to numb out what's happening, I've wanted to walk straight into what I'm feeling and understand it. Um, And so that's another reason that that didn't lead me in that direction. So, but what's interesting is that, um, you know, as the years ticked on, I really couldn't deny that I continued to have synchronicities with people talking about their experiences with sacred plant medicines, particularly psilocybin. And uh, since I've never been a partier, uh, the sacred, I mean, the, since I've never been a partier, the, um, the party scene of psychedelics never really appeared to me. And I really associated any sort of psychedelic substance with the party scene. Um, particularly, you know, when people kind of talked about mushrooms, like magic mushrooms, etc. that for me was like a party scene substance. And so it really turned me off from their sacred medicine for a very long time because I had no other context for the fact that they could be engaged in a very different setting. But as I learned more about ceremonial and therapeutic approaches to plant and fungi sacred medicines, I started to feel a lot more curious and open up. And this really deepened when I finished processing my childhood and adult sexual trauma with my trauma therapist. You know, despite feeling freer and more authentically myself in many ways, I still had this heavy cloud that wouldn't lift from me. I, you know, had these patterns in my mind that wouldn't shift. I had these ways that my nervous system were kind of set up to be hypervigilant that wouldn't let go. And, you know, I had processed really tough memories. I had reprocessed, reprogrammed them. I completed somatic-based psychotherapy work to move the trauma out of my body and uh, start to repattern my nervous system. I had difficult conversations with family members. I created healthy boundaries, you know, but still something felt amiss. And it just wasn't this, like, the heavy cloud that surprised me. It was really, like, a deeply, you know, as a deeply spiritual person... I found myself uncharacteristically feeling at times apathetic. I, I didn't feel driven or inspired by my work anymore, even though I deep down adored it. And I started to wonder like, if my time doing intuitive and healing work was coming to an end, like was there, you know, <clears throat> I kind of was like, is there a new path that's going to open up for me? And like, <laughs> what is that going to be? I, you know, I found everyday life pretty taxing. And honestly, my sense was that I was really experiencing an existential crisis of faith, spiritual faith. And um, that hadn't really happened to me. And so I wondered, you know, how could I have completed this incredibly important, brave, uh, meaningful healing work and feel so unalive. How could that be? How could I feel free, but also unalive at the same time? And so for quite some time, I thought I was just tired from all of the processing I'd finally completed. 
But when my system didn't seem to recalibrate with additional somatic work and my therapist didn't really have answers, I knew I needed something very different to support my system. Because again, I was just kind of like hitting a wall. So feeling I needed some new support, I opened myself up to be receptive to what might help me shift this. And, you know, after all, that's really how I found somatic experiencing years prior and started somatic-based psychotherapy because um, no matter what I did at that time, I couldn't shift debilitating freeze responses in my body. So as I opened the door, then I found somatic experiencing. So I decided I would do the same thing. I would kind of open the door and, you know, say to the universe, like, okay, I, I sense something else is needed here. What is that? What other method or insight or dots am I meant to connect? Like, what is it? And it was as if like sacred plant medicine, specifically these fungi, stepped right into the center of the room after patiently waiting in the wings for me for a very, very long time and said, how about now? (laughs) How about now? Mm. So... I'd already been working with plant spirits and studying the long ways of my ancestors for some time, you know, recognizing that ceremonial use of plant and fungi spirits was an essential part of the lost spirituality of my earth-based ancestors. It had been a part of my spiritual quest to rebuild inside of me that more earth-based spirituality based on my ancestors' lineages that got lost a long time ago. And I knew that my Scandinavian ancestors, uh, uh, you know, before had an intimate relationship with a psychedelic mushroom called Amanita muscaria. And this enabled me to open up to the idea of embracing the ways entheogenic plants and fungi had been calling me for years and years and years and years and years and years and years (laughs) in dreams and in waking life. Um, So... Through a series of synchronicities, after I kind of opened the door, the practice of microdosing came into my life. And after speaking with a trusted friend about her own experience, I decided to try microdosing as a baby step. Um, if you're not familiar with microdosing, it's taking a small amount of a psychoactive substance um, that is what they call subperceptual. It means that you can go throughout your day, everyday life, and complete everyday activities. It doesn't cause you to feel so altered. It's very, very subtle. For example, I feel like I can focus a lot more, or I feel a little bit more grounded, or um, I feel more creative. That's kind of like the kind of shift. And so that practice came into my life, and... Um, after I spoke to a trusted friend about her own experience, I decided like, okay, let's do it. And I wanted to see if I, you know, experienced any negative effects of working with psilocybin before committing to a therapeutic dose with an underground guide, because my system tends to be really, really sensitive. And even sometimes with herbal tinctures, I need to like work with like homeopathic doses because my system is so sensitive and responsive. So I wanted to also be responsible and make sure that my, my body was going to receive this medicine well. So my first time microdosing, uh, I'm not exaggerating, 
was really nothing short of life-changing. I think a few things contributed to this. First, a principle that I have learned is really a best practice and essential for all psychedelic work, um, whether you're microdosing or macrodosing was something I put into place, and that was set, which is also known uh, also known as mindset. You know, focusing on your mindset, and then setting, which is like being aware of what kind of environment you're working with this substance in. And research has shown that your current mindset, along with the where and how you engage in psychedelics, can really, really impact the outcome. And that most positive experiences happen when set and setting is established in a meaningful way with intention. So for my first microdose experience, I did have an intentional set and setting. And it was a Saturday. That was my my setting. And um, I was completely off of work. The weather was sunny outside and my husband had agreed to monitor my well-being. I did a little bit of fasting leading up to it. And I took my dose in some ceremonial cacao on our deck and a plant spirit, you know, which is cacao is a plant spirit that I've worked with um, for a long time and had a longstanding ceremonial relationship with. And I brought my yoga mat, my pillows, my blankets, Oracle, card decks, a journal, like all these different little, you know, goodies and tools. And I kind of prepared myself a little cozy nest for insight and reflection to just kind of see what emerged And so I spent some time centering myself and connecting to my guides and then speaking my intentions into the cacao and I drank. And when I was finished, I laid down on my mat, staring up at the really beautiful, clear, big blue sky. And after a short period of time, the perceptual shift was noticeable. It was as if someone had, you know, like reset my brain to how it feels after a 10 day or more silent retreat, like instantaneously. And I felt expansive and connected and clear and really, really deeply in my body. And the heavy cloud that had been hanging out my mind was gone. And I thought to myself, holy shit, like (laughs) I don't remember the last time I felt this way. And as time continued on, this feeling deepened. It just felt like such a gift because my nervous system felt relaxed and my hypervigilance felt away. I felt new, like almost like a newborn baby. But most of all, I felt more like myself than I'd ever felt before in a long time. So once I said yes to the sacred fungi through microdosing, they... Um, maybe not so surprisingly, (laughs) deep into their call for me into ceremony. And honestly, if I was ever doubtful about plants and fungi having consciousness, working with these sacred fungi, they dispelled any doubts because the fungi are so wise and so loving and so playful and so powerful You know, they really helped me connect dots in my own inner work and in therapy sessions so much faster and granted me access to clarity and compassion just through microdosing. So as I pondered whether to work with them ceremonially, and I was kind of turning that around my head and, you know, 
just kind of feeling into my heart and sensing like, is this, you know, let me make sure that, and let me discern and make sure that this call I'm feeling like feels like the right one. I had a really powerful dream. And in the dream, I met a council of sacred fungi spirits and they had one message for me. If we say yes to you, you say yes to us. And I, in the dream, while still dreaming, I immediately understood the nature of reciprocity and exchange in our relationship with each other and the nature of who they are. And I sensed that my work would be connected to them in the future. And I just woke up, you know, from the dream feeling this beautiful sense of cooperation and agreement. And like we had agreed to some terms for work together in the dream time, you know, but when I woke up, when my you know, ego starts coming back in line, (laughs) AKA my fear. (laughs) I wondered like, was I willing to say yes to them related to my work? And like, what did that even mean? Um, I wasn't fully sure, but what I did know was that working with the spirits of these fungi was really accelerating and easing my healing in ways that no other process had done before. And so regardless, I decided to say yes to a therapeutic dose of psilocybin. And from that point forward, my dreams became even more vivid and they helped me recognize what I needed to reckon with pre-ceremony and they slowly helped me form some intentions. So what was my main intention when I went into my first ceremony? Well, I had several, but I would say the central one that guided that ceremony was an intention to know without a doubt that there is divine goodness in me and in the universe, and that I'm always supported by that. Because I had gotten to a place, like I said, where I was lacking faith, um, really in myself and in life. And even though this idea of goodness, like I believed in some part of me believed in, it was like an idea I didn't really feel it on a daily basis. Like on a daily basis, like there was a lot of tough stuff happening in my life. And I, like, I just felt like I couldn't reconcile with that. So leading up to my ceremony, you know, I, I had to work through a lot of fears. I wondered, would I go crazy? Would I go get arrested? Would I die? (laughs) Um, That was, you know, some of my hypervigilance. Uh, some of the societal ideas imprinted onto me, some of other people's ideas imprinted onto me. My mind went to some really scary places and I had some scary dreams, um, which really is not that surprising because after all, our culture has really, really, really demonized psychedelics for a very long time. And yet something inside of me knew I needed this ceremony to support my healing because I was very, very, very stuck very stuck. Like if you gave me a questionnaire for PTSD, it was all there despite 10 plus years of trauma therapy work and somatic work. So my first ceremony restored my faith in myself and my life, feeling like the deepest manual reset and reboot of my system. Like, you know, for the sake of time, I won't go into every single detail of my ceremony because, well, it's a lot. And some of you might find it like great, (laughs) 
But for sake of time, you know, I really want to kind of share some of the important highlights. In fact, to give you an idea of how much happens in a single day ceremony, if you haven't experienced that, it's like, it's a lot like this dream that I had about a week after it happened, after my ceremony, and it captures it really well. And in my dream, I basically met a dear friend and I was telling her about my experience with psilocybin. And I said to her, quote, you know, I basically did 30 years of therapy in one day. And that's still kind of how I talk about it now, because I believe it might have taken me a very, very long time to get past everything I needed to process and just how stuck my mind and some aspects of my body had gotten and they just like would not release and shift. So, so yeah, that's how I got to that place. And that's how much feels like it shifted. Um, my, my journey was, you know, kind of experienced in several different phases. And I would say the first part of my journey after ingesting the psilocybin with, you know, my guide there and everything, um, was woven with different layers of shadow and parts work. And so what that looked like for me in that instance was, uh, my, my time managing part popped up to tell me that they were worried about time. So I would, you know, try to be in the experience. And then this part of me would be like, wait, what time is it? And then my <laughs> try to be in the experience that my mind would be like, wait, what time is it? <laughs> and then this caretaker part of me, uh, wondered if my guide was okay, you know, like, Oh, what's happening with my guide? Do they need, do they, do they need something else right now? Do they need a bathroom break? Do they need this? You know, there was like a part of me that would pop up sometimes like that. And, um, that was part of the experience because it was just amazing to see in that moment as that was happening, as these different parts of me were kind of coming online in the first part of my experience, I realized like, wow, these parts of me take up way more bandwidth than I realized, way more bandwidth. And they were, you know, in my um, outside of ceremony life, like they were popping up clearly all the time and I wasn't seeing it. (laughs) So (laughs) that was really interesting. Um, So my time managing part and that caretaker part were important for me to see. And I was able to really have like clear objective space from them. But what was most remarkable was that during my psilocybin journey, I was able to clearly distinguish the difference between my core self, my core authentic self, like the core capital S self of me and the parts of me that developed as coping strategies, like overlapping that part of myself, right? Overlapping, they like, they lay over, they protect, they cover Um, as coping strategies to difficulties in my life. And it was as if someone just like widened the room in my brain and these younger parts of myself were further away, not in a sense that they felt I, I wasn't dissociated from them. I wasn't numb from them. I was entirely attuned to them, but I was so clearly able to see that they were not my core self. And, um, and I was able to see and witness them, you know, without getting lost in them, without having judgment towards them. And as I saw them so clearly, I just had so much compassion for them. Uh, or I would spontaneously find myself like just lovingly laughing at their grasping, like, oh, this, <laughs> this I like, it's so sweet. I so, I so see you trying so hard to like, 
<laughs> you know, figure out what time it is right now because that feels a little bit like a sense of control. And um, and this alone was life changing. It because I've done you know parts work on my own and in therapy for a very very long time, but I've never experienced such a seamless process of spontaneous awareness and healing and embracing and and letting go. So before I reached the peak of my journey, I just felt like spontaneously silly. And peak meaning like the like the journey, the psychedelic journey if you are in an experience um you know with particularly with sacred mushrooms like they 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 say you kind of go up a mountain and then you come back down the mountain. So there's like a peak experience. It's when the medicine is really building in your system and and usually the experience is building towards what you're you're really going to receive. And so before I reached that, I felt all this like spontaneous like spontaneous like silliness that came through. And I found myself like giggling and laughing at like everything like a 4-year-old. And um, continuously like just like cracking myself up. And as I stayed with this laughter and I connected with this childlike part of myself, I ended up touching into a really, really deep sadness that I didn't know was there underneath the silliness around not being able to be silly when I was young. And just how life got too serious too fast for me. I felt like I had to kind of step away from that silliness um, a little bit too fast. And it was time, you know, to really allow the silly and playful part of me to take up more space in my life and allow myself to just have pure fun for the sake of fun, you know? And so that was a really important insight for me. By the time I then neared my peak of the journey, I came to this place internally where I felt after having gone through different layers of these, my shadow and different parts of myself and processing different emotions, I really felt like ready to let go of all the emotional baggage I'd been hanging on to from the past, which I was very clear at that moment and could sense was the cloud that had been hovering over me. And I was really feeling like the weight of it, like literally like it felt so heavy on me. It felt like it might kill me. Um, and I was very sure actually at that point when I felt that sense of like, whoa, there's so much I've been carrying for so long, I was kind of almost sure that I would, I was actually going to die in the ceremony. And I don't mean symbolically, I, I meant literally. And feeling at one point almost like I was like suffocating and kind of struggling to breathe. And I recognize now that at that moment, I actually was reliving and processing my birth trauma because when I was born, I was born with a cord wrapped around my neck and I was blue and the doctors had to act really fast to resolve the issue. And that's exactly where I was. I was at this like teetering point of somatically going through that experience. And then a part of me wondering like, well, am I going to, am I going to make it? So as I peeked on the edge of what felt like physical death, but was really an ego death, some parts of me were still struggling to let go, even though my core self knew that's where I was being invited. And that's when I felt myself completely surrounded by all of my ancestors. Both I felt it and I could see it 
And they just enveloped me and lovingly urged me to let go. And I just kept hearing them say, just let go, just let go, just let go, kind of all chanting together. And as they chanted, this beautiful white light started kind of um, beaming down towards me from above, really beckoning me, beckoning me, which is much like the stories I've heard of people who transition, people who have near-death experiences. And it was overlaid with the shadow of the silhouette of an eagle, eagle, um, the bird. And, and as I saw this light, which was you know, kind of beaming, like with a slight throb, like a heartbeat, and I could hear like this heartbeat and I could see this eagle. I just kept hearing, just let go, just let go. And so I thought, well, if I do actually die, what was happening felt pretty amazing. And so if it was my time, I felt so loved and supported. And so I decided to just let go. And I started just, you know, inviting the ancestors and uh, and just said, you know, here you go, take it, take it all, take it all, take it all. I let go, I let go. And, I, and as the last part of myself dropped the clinging and finally let go, it was like, whoosh. I became one with everything. And I was the universe. And the edges of my body were not the edges of where I they are now in this moment when I'm talking to you. They were the whole universe. My body was everything. And it feels important to say at this moment that I had one, 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 one very, very deep desire in life. And it's a desire that guided me in my spiritual path for many, many years. And that was to, in essence, transcend my ego and realize the true nature of reality, not as an idea, but experientially. And the teachings of the Buddha definitely deeply influenced this desire. And it's why I have been an avid meditator for so long. But what I didn't expect was that by the end of my first ceremony, I would feel and know without a doubt that I had accomplished that deepest desire. And with the support of a substance that many people in spiritual communities that I belong to for a long time, honestly, would have demonized. And so there I was in this moment after having let go as the entire universe, a beautiful, black, inky star space of nothingness and everythingness at the same time. Um, if you've had a psychedelic experience like this, you know exactly what I'm talking about in your own way, but it's very hard to put into words. So I'm trying my best. Um, and I remember saying, you know, oh my gosh, this is so much greater than the idea of God that we have con like conceived of so much greater than any concept that any tradition has ever conceived of. I felt that so deeply in that moment, this, this very deep and alive intelligence that I was and I am a part of, that's genderless, that's vast, that's deeply unconditional uh, love. It's the deepest space I've ever experienced and this total sense of wholeness and as I was in that space, I saw the wheel of life 
And I understood that it's not really reincarnation. It's not. That's an illusion too, because time is an illusion. It's more like not past lives, but parallel lives. And uh, more like it's all happening at the same time, not used to happen. And as I remained in this field of everythingness, I realized that the essence of life really, really is love. And that sounds so simple to say, but when you feel that so deeply in yourselves, there is nothing more profound than that. I knew that there is no heaven, there's no hell, and we've forgotten this cosmic energy that fuels life. We're truly, you know, strangely, beautifully one and many, and we are so deeply cared for. And we matter. We matter. Every single one of us matters in this bigger field, but we miss the fact that we're part of this bigger intelligence. We're part of this whole. We just get lost in the the oneness of ourselves. Like we don't get lost in the capital O oneness of all that is that we are a part of. So this part of my journey was really profound, very cosmic, very insightful. I experienced myself as the whole universe, as the cosmic void. I was brought to the moment before anything ever existed and where creation first started. And then I experienced myself as the planet Earth, recognizing the Earth as a living being, just like I had sensed, but now I knew it. I knew it without a doubt in my bone and felt it in every single corner of the cells of my body. I felt Earth breathing and living in me and through me and me in her. And I felt the grief the Earth felt for humanity and just how far off course we've strayed, like so far off. because we're so disconnected you know from our natural state and our natural reality and our natural state of consciousness and this greater web of life and i really really realized oh my gosh we got it wrong we really got it wrong our our culture is so sick and this medicine is calling us back into right relationship And so for some time, I moved back and forth between being the whole universe, the void, where creation started, the earth, the forest where I was, myself, circulating back and forth, back and forth. And it was so fascinating, and it all made so much sense. And I felt so viscerally just how sacred and holy life is. And just how truly lucky I was to be alive, like a huge gift, a huge gift to be here. I felt that so deeply. I sensed it. I saw it. I knew it. And how much of a blessing it is to share this life with other people. Also a huge gift because as I was in this expanded state, I wondered to myself like, well, why be in a body when, when you can, when you can be this great consciousness? And it was a sense of, wow, but because Life on earth is a gift because life on earth with other people is such a blessing. And how lucky to be able to spend life with people that you care about and you love and you get to learn from and interact with. And there was this perfection of it all. The perfection of my life, the perfection of everyone's life, the perfection of all the events leading up to that day. 
And I just kept sensing and hearing like, it all is perfect. It all is perfect. And I felt my place in the bigger web of life. The animals, the trees, the plants, all creatures were my kin. They are my kin, my brothers, my sisters. And I felt this immense, like, holy, a holy, of holy, of holiness in each plant. Like this sense that plants and trees and fungi are like the holiest of holiest beings that exist here. I felt that so deeply. And, you know, they're sacred beings and teachers and really amazing evolved consciousnesses. Very wise. And then from that place of recognizing life through this ecological lens, I opened up to the greatest compassion I have ever accessed for myself, for the people that harmed me in my life. And from that place, just outpoured like endless forgiveness, not as a thought exercise, not as a thought exercise, but from my heart, from my being, feeling it in viscerally in my body, it outpoured from me uh, for myself and for others this embodied sense that I truly forgive the people that hurt me and caused me harm. And I just realized, you know, how hard I was on myself all the time and how hard I'd been on my body. And it was just like this outpouring of compassion and forgiveness and love and self-compassion and self-forgiveness and self-love. And I found myself like wanting to embrace my body and embrace myself and thank, thank my body for all the support and thank myself for you know, doing what I've done and, and, you know, really seeing that clearly. And then I knew, you know, without a doubt that people are, are always doing their best and the harm that people inflict on others, it's really not just theirs. I was able to sense really like the vastness of ancestral trauma, the baggages that people carry with them from lifetime to lifetime and pass on, um, and how that impacts a person's way of being in life. And, and I knew without a doubt that even despite all of that, we are so deeply loved and have purpose. And so after this experience, I felt really, really reset and I felt like I was reborn. I, I went through some of the highest highs and the lowest lows and then the vastness of the experience, you know, the wisdom of the medicine gave me exactly what I needed, not what I wanted, what I needed. And this is something that I have seen time and time again um, in my experiences. The medicine brings us exactly what we need, not what we want. And so the months that followed this experience, this first ceremony, were spent integrating what happened with my guide, um, you know, like a step in, in the process that many people skip. There's a lot of people that work with psychedelics and then they don't take the time to really integrate it. And I've learned, you know, that people try to either just skip it all together or try to rush it. But integration is important. It's this question of how do you make sense of unpack and apply what many people call usually the most important event of their life the most important experience, the most spiritual experience, the most life-changing experience of their life. That's how people describe it. That's how I would describe mine. 
it's not something you do in one, two, or even 10 hours, you know? It takes time, it takes daily dedication uh, to ensure that the insights and the gems of wisdom that were gifted along the way take root in our lives. And so the same goes for preparation for a ceremony. Leading up to my first ceremony, I spent several months on my own and with a guide preparing for my experience. And again, people often skip or they try to rush this step as well, but I really attribute the amazing experience I had with the medicine during my first ceremony and since in other ceremonies to the very intentional preparation and integration I invest into my process. Um, so since my first ceremony with the sacred fungi, I've continued to receive messages. I've completed more ceremonies and the fungi have continued to teach me. And so next time on the podcast, I'll share with you what I've learned from the sacred fungi, what they've taught me about my role here on earth um, and our, our true nature and, and what that means for my professional work in the future. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be so grateful if you could share it with one person and on your social channels. You know, these sacred fungi have been so, so generous with me. And this podcast is just one of the ways I'm trying to reciprocate their generosity. Um, I really attribute them to shifting me uh, to be able to shift away and shift out of complex PTSD symptoms that I was having on a daily and regular basis that were, you know, what in clinical settings they would say is, was, um, you know, tr uh, therapy resistant. It's like I treatment resistant. I, I had gone through lots of therapy and it couldn't, it just, I shifted a bunch of it, but the, the, a lot of the, the symptoms were still there. Many of them were still there. And, um, I really attribute these sacred fungi to supporting that massive shift for me so that my system no longer feels gripped by, uh, you know, intense hypervigilance all the time. And so, you know, this podcast is one of the ways I'm trying to reciprocate their generosity. And I would be so grateful if you can uh, share some of that generosity as well by continuing to pass their generosity, their generous energy rather, um, onto others. So with that, I'll leave you to let, let all this sink in. Maybe you feel inspired to listen to it for a second time and soak in even more. And I will see you next time as we continue this conversation. Um, until then I'll leave you with my personal mantra and that is being you takes courage. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for tuning in today with me. I hope you loved the episode and it enriches you just as much as it has for me to create it. If you enjoyed this episode, consider becoming a Patreon. You can join starting at $10 a month. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash Marcy Moberg. Another way to support the podcast is through reviews. I would be so grateful for you to hop on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and share your rating and review, ideally five stars. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And you can always learn more about me and my work at marcymoberg.com. Until next time, remember that being you takes courage. Lots of love.